Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Pro Tem Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health. Also, be sure to check out our two most recent interviews that dropped last week, episode 26, featuring Hema Morales-Meyer on the topic of contact tracing, and episode 27, featuring Heather Ju-Northover and focused on health equity. And now, Supervisor Solis. Thank you very much, and good afternoon to everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's press briefing. Today, I want to acknowledge the incredible work of our 10 million county residents. This crisis has brought a harsh toll on all of us but your commitment to each other is paying off. We're seeing that in the number of hospitalizations this week, it has decreased and this is promising. This means one thing, our efforts are working and we must continue on this trajectory. Continue to stay at home, continue to avoid gatherings and continue wearing a mask and physical distancing. It does not mean that we can't resume our normal lives. Unfortunately, we are far from that. I thank you for meeting the moment and for your continued sacrifices to keep each other safe. Meeting this moment must also include making new healthcare investments in our community. There are many areas in the County of Los Angeles that are medically underserved. COVID-19 has made this more clear than ever. Southeast Los Angeles is one such region with over 11,000 cases to date. In fact, the city of Bell is in an area with the highest medical needs and the lowest primary care access rate in the county. That is why we're focusing our COVID-19 testing efforts there with the testing site in the city of Bell and another in Southgate. It's also why I introduced a motion which the Board of Supervisors passed unanimously yesterday for the Department of Health Services to lease medical space to address health disparities in Southeast Los Angeles. At this new clinic, there will be a team of primary care providers, nurses, care, case managers, case navigators, and other caring professionals to provide care during COVID-19 and after the pandemic. Equitable healthcare access means getting treatment and care in one's community. I look forward to opening this exciting clinic with the hardworking staff of the Department of Health Services. Today, Dr. Ferrer will share information about one of the hardest hit groups in our community, younger adults. Younger adults still make up the majority of new positive cases with 76% of new cases today occurring in people under 50 years old. Out of these cases, 54% of new cases were among people under the age of 30. This is one of the reasons why you will see more information on LA County's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and billboards across LA County as a reminder to young adults that COVID-19 does not care about your age. All you have to do is watch the real stories from younger COVID-19 survivors on our website, covid19.lacounty.gov risk to understand that the risk is real. We also invite you and your friends to share your stories to help other younger adults by using the hashtag, the risk is real. Young people are also especially affected by the negative economic impacts of COVID-19. That's why I wanna briefly share about the county's Youth at Work program, which has provided essential paid work experience for LA County's at-risk youth, with a specific focus on youth who are on public assistance 
are low income or in the foster care or probation system. Youth participate in paid work-based learning at $15 per hour for 120 hours at a private, public, or nonprofit worksite. Last year's program, which included the COVID-19 pandemic, approximately 20,000 youth participated in Youth at Work through the county and our other partners. During COVID-19, we're pri prioritizing placement where Youth at Work participants can give back directly to vulnerable communities by participating in humanitarian efforts. We're also implementing virtual work experiences for young people. LA County youth ages 14 through 24 who are eligible to receive a school work permit may apply by going to workforce.lacounty.gov slash youth at work. Youth at work is also a unique opportunity for employers to onboard subsidized hardworking employees while shaping the future of our regional workforce. Employers can learn more at workforce.lacounty.gov slash youth at work. And lastly, I want to highlight another commitment by the county to protect public health in the face of the pandemic and continue to flatten the curve. We will mail all registered voters a vote-by-mail ballot for the November 3rd general election. The mailing of vote-by-mail ballots begins October 5th, exactly two months from today. But voters have already begun receiving mailings from the county to confirm their address and the language in which they wish to receive their vote-by-mail ballot. These mailers should be received by voters by the end of the week. Sending all voters a vote-by-mail ballot provides a safe and accessible option to vote in the safety of their home without having to risk exposure to COVID-19. There will also be an in-person vote centers available. We encourage residents to participate in the November 3rd election. You can register to vote at lavote.net. Just as staying home is critical to your health and that of others, voting is necessary for the health of our democracy. I would now like to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Solis and the entire Board of Supervisors. As we continue to see improvements in our data, navigating this stage of the pandemic in the county, I am certain that your steadfast leadership has been instrumental in creating opportunities for all residents to get the support and care they need to navigate these days of COVID-19. And good afternoon, everyone. On Monday, I told you that I was cautiously optimistic about what our numbers are showing, particularly the information on declining daily hospitalizations. While that still remains true today, I continue to focus on the word cautious when I speak of the hope I have for where things could be headed. I also have to note, as we reported yesterday, that there have been significant issues with the state reported data on cases, and this has led to an undercount of our cases for possibly the last two weeks. We don't exactly know the extent of the undercount, how small it is or how large it is, and continue to work with the state to get better information. And as I noted uh, yesterday, we are creating a redundant system here in the county so that hopefully by the end of the week, we can have an accurate count of new cases uh, for LA County. While the missing data is troubling and it does hinder our efforts to monitor and reduce the spread of COVID-19, data sources that track other key indicators, including hospitalizations and deaths, are not affected by this reporting issue. And we do see somewhat positive trends uh, in both of these uh, data points. 
As we look to the future and we continue to plan our recovery, we must learn from our recent past, however, and we have to continue our vigilance in the face of this still new and dangerous virus. You'll recall that just a few months ago, we were in a much better place than we are now. And unfortunately, many of us thought that meant we re could return to life as it was before COVID-19. And we, as a community, returned to a place where COVID-19 was spreading at even higher rates than it had been in the early days of the pandemic. The main difference this time was that the people driving the infection rate were younger than they had initially been. So today I wanna to take a closer look at what we're seeing among our younger uh, residents. These are people between the ages of 18 and 49. And while this may seem like a huge and disparate swath of the population, they're actually very similar in terms of some of their behaviors. These are folks who are out in the workforce and in many cases, they may be shopping at our retail stores, enjoying the recreational venues that are open and socializing with people outside of their household. This is also the age group that's most likely to be attending the large parties that we keep seeing on our screen. Gatherings of people from different households are such a bad idea at this point in time, particularly when this is happening just as many have expanded the number of their contacts with others because they are back at work or they are going out shopping and they're eating out. Gatherings are simply not allowed at this point under the health officer order because they create a lot of risk for transmission at activities that really are not essential. And these uh, parties and gatherings with people not in your household hurt all of us as we try to reduce our case rates so we can get our children back to school and get other adults back to their jobs. We ask that everyone make good decisions. Don't host large parties and don't attend a party if you're invited. It isn't worth the risk you run and it certainly isn't worth the risk you're creating for our collective recovery journey. I do get a lot of questions about enforcement and why we aren't doing a better job shutting down these large parties and closing businesses that are out of compliance. We are working hard and we're responding to thousands of complaints each week that are related to noncompliance. We use many different tools and we get help from other regulatory agencies and when appropriate from law enforcement to educate and enforce existing orders. I do think an equally important question to ask is why so many people are willing to put our entire community at risk during this unprecedented pandemic. One thing for certain is that we will not be able to arrest our way out of the pandemic. We're only gonna get through this with everyone doing their part. Today, in the vein of providing information uh, about how to best do your part, I wanna start by updating you on what we're seeing among our young people at our colleges and universities, and then share with you uh, our new protocols for reopening at colleges and universities. I also wanna update you on elementary school waivers that we previously mentioned and our, and our new sports. But I'm gonna start with today's update. I'm really sad to report 68 additional deaths today. 23 of the people who died are over the age of 80 and 17 people who passed away had underlying health conditions. 24 of the people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79 
and 20 people who passed away in this age group had underlying health conditions. 17 people who died are between the ages of 50 and 64, and 13 of these people had underlying health conditions. Three people who passed away are between the ages of 30 and 49, and two people in this group had, in this age group, had underlying health conditions. There's one death that's reported by the city of Pasadena, and for more information, you can go to cityofpasadena.net. This brings the total number of deaths to 4,825 across LA County. And to those families who are grieving, we grieve with you. These are such tragic and untimely deaths, and they're such a loss for our entire community. 92% of the people who have passed away from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. For the 4,520 people who passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, 49% are Latinx, Latinos, 24% are white, 15% are Asian, 11% are black, slightly less than 1% are native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We're reporting 2,347 new cases today, but again, a note of caution that this is likely to be an undercount. This does bring the total number of cases in LA County to 197,912. These cases include a total of 8,362 cases that are reported uh, by our partners in the city of Long Beach, and a total of 2,023 cases reported by the city of Pasadena. Both cities have independent health departments. We're also reporting a total of 1,178 confirmed cases amongst people experiencing homelessness. And today uh, we have 1,768 confirmed cases of people who are currently hospitalized. 30% of the people are confirmed cases in the ICU and 18% are on ventilators. We have investigated a total of 1,333 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Of these, we have current investigations that are ongoing at 877 sites, and we've closed 456 investigations. As a reminder, investigations are closed when we've had 14 days with no new cases at those sites. Residential settings include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, and correctional facilities. Non-residential settings include workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. The total confirmed cases in institutional settings is now 27,988. Of these, 14,947 are confirmed cases among residents, and 13,041 are confirmed cases among staff. I am sad to report that 2,270 residents in institutional settings have died from COVID-19. 2,058 of the people who passed away resided at skilled nursing facilities. And of the 67 newly reported deaths today, excluding Long Beach and Pasadena, 15 uh, were uh, associated with residents who were living uh, at skilled nursing facilities. It does break my heart to report this every week and I send my deepest condolences to the families who are grieving the loss of their beloved parent, grandparent, 
uncle, aunt, cousins, and many other loved ones. We're also reporting 3,435 confirmed cases at some point in our jail facilities. 3,065 are among people who are incarcerated, and 370 are among staff. The Sheriff's Office is reporting for their facilities today 35 inmates who are positive, 58 people who are in incarceration that are in isolation, and 1,176 people who are incarcerated that are quarantined. There's 196 cases in the state prison, 137 are among people who are incarcerated, and 59 are among staff. And there are 757 cases in the federal prison facilities, 741 among people who are incarcerated, and 16 among staff. And today we're reporting 119 cases in the juvenile facilities, 47 among youth and 72 among staff. Uh, to date, 1,839,157 people have been tested and had results reported in LA County, and 10% were positive. I want to again thank Dr. Galley and her team for expanding capacity across uh, the county. We're one of only a handful of counties in the country that is really, uh, at this point, exceeding uh, the capacity to test more than 20,000 people a day. Um, I do want to now put what we're seeing each day into context by looking at the distribution of, inf of cases by age. So please pull up the first slide. This slide, it's a busy slide, I apologize, has all of the different age groups. Uh, it shows the daily average case rate per 100,000 people by age category. And you can see that through the third week of July, cases increased steeply among our younger adults. This is represented by the blue and the yellow lines at the top of the chart. The blue line, which represents adults ages 30 to 48, has the highest case rate among all age groups in LA County. Since the beginning of June, case rates for this group nearly tripled to a high of 1,122 cases per 100,000 people uh, on July 24th. The yellow line, which is just below the blue line, represents the younger adult group, and this is people aged 18 to 29. And case rates for this group quadrupled from June 9th through the end of July, as, their case, as these case rates skyrocketed from around 200 cases at the beginning of June to a peak of 880, 882 cases per 100,000 people on July 23rd. This explosive growth in cases shows that these two age groups continue to drive new infections here in the county, and they're making up the bulk of our new cases. Our most recent data shows that people in the, of the ages 18 to 49 comprise 60% of new cases, with 30 to 49-year-olds driving most of that. The next slide, please. Patients aged 18 to 29, as seen with the yellow line, uh, sort of in the middle, uh, the middle part of this graph, um, now account for more than twice the proportion of all hospitalizations than they did in April. They now match the, the rate, as you can see with the brown line, of people who are aged 80 and older. And people ages 30 to 49, that's the green line on this chart, account for one out of every four hospitalizations in the county. By comparison, 
Hospitalizations for those 80 or over have fallen by half since the peak in April. Again, that's our brown line. The next slide. Though we saw an increase in hospitalizations among our younger residents, our older residents were tragically the ones who continued to die as a result of COVID-19. The good news is though, as you can see on this chart, deaths are trending down for everyone. And you've heard me say before, the deaths attributed to COVID-19 had largely occurred initially among elderly people, particularly those that lived in our nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. The market improvement in this area among older people is as a result of using our emerging science to make important changes that protected both employees and residents at skilled nursing facilities. I wanna caution people that this slide does not mean that young people aren't at risk for death from COVID-19. We've reported 32 deaths that have happened, unfortunately, for people who were aged uh, between 18 and 29. And 319 tragic deaths have occurred for people who are between the ages of 30 to 49. No matter how young you are, you are at risk for death from COVID-19. I send my heartfelt condolences to all those grieving for their loved ones. It's heartbreaking to lose people at the very prime of their life. And it's also important to remember that although you as an individual, particularly a younger adult, may not suffer these devastating consequences from COVID-19, you could infect someone you love, and that could be a relative or a friend, and you could infect someone in your community who could get very sick and unfortunately pass away. I do wanna shift for a minute and talk about colleges and universities because they are such important institutions here in LA County. And I know that so many students and teachers and staff are eager to return to their campuses, but it simply won't be possible to return to collegiate life as we knew it before. Dorms, classrooms, and social life that's offered by our colleges and university create high-risk activities and become high-risk settings for the spread of COVID-19. We've already started seeing hotspots and we have one outbreak at a local college. The largest outbreak is connected to the University of Southern California, where we've been investigating an outbreak of COVID-19 at three fraternities with 45 confirmed cases associated already with this investigation. We also saw separately a group of graduate students at USC who socialized, studied, and some of them lived together who became infected. And at UCLA, we've seen a number of football players who returned to campus and tested positive. Given that this virus has reached every single part of the country and will be an unwelcome visitor hitching a ride with students as they return to our campuses, we need to be very vigilant in how we reopen. With this knowledge that we have now, we'll continue planning for the safety of students, staff, faculty, and their families. Although we're not certain uh, here in LA County when colleges and universities can reopen for campus learning uh, and for campus dorm life, uh, because we're waiting for the state to issue their guidance and directives, uh, we do anticipate that the state might distinguish as was the case with K through 12 schools, with permissible activities that can happen 
at institutions in counties with high rates of community transmission compared to activities that can happen on campuses in counties with low rates of transmission. Uh, to get ahead of the challenges that we're going to be facing whenever college students begin to return to campus, we have crafted, with a lot of support uh, from many of the folks who work at these institutions, a comprehensive set of protocols that all institutes of higher education will have to comply with prior to reopening, whenever that reopening happens. The protocols, which are posted in draft form on our website, touch on all aspects of campus life from on-campus housing to classrooms to the dining commons. But the common thread is that colleges and universities, like all other workplaces and places in our community, will have to step up their infection control practices, including the regular sanitizing of common spaces, consistent use of face coverings in all parts of the campus, and the reconfiguration of campus spaces, including dorms, to enable appropriate physical distancing. And like other workplaces, colleges and universities will have to screen their employees and their students for COVID-19 and notify the Department of Public Health when there are any clusters of cases, three or more cases, so that we can help stop the chain of transmission. Because college and universities campuses exist in the middle of larger communities, Significant attention needs to be paid to steps that institutions take to protect community residents from exposure that originates on a campus. This includes good communications, support for community mitigation strategies, and minimizing the risky actions that people that are part of the college community may engage in. We have a extraordinary relationship with colleges and universities and we do look forward to planning for the day when college campuses can reopen and bring students and faculty back. But we will need to wait until the state releases their protocols uh, before we'll know what that timeline will look like here in LA County. I want to briefly touch upon for just a second an announcement we made yesterday about school waivers. We're going to adhere to the new guidance from the California Department of Public Health, which recommends that counties with rate case rates at or above 200 cases per 100,000 residents do not extend waivers for the reopening of classroom instruction for students in grades TK through 6. Our county rate here uh, for cases is currently 330 cases per 100,000 people. And based on this data, we are not going to consider waiver applications at this point. Uh, we are asking that everyone help us drive this case number down so that we can reopen uh, schools across the county as soon as possible. We do know that for so many families, this is a very disappointing announcement. But it is based on existing science and data that guides all of our decision making. We do need to ensure the health and safety of our children school teachers and school staff, and all of their families. The decision will be reconsidered once our case rate falls to the levels recommended by the state. And finally, I have another quick update for everyone on youth sports. As you all know, the state announced the reopening of youth sports earlier this week and released their guidance for the safe operation of youth sports leagues. And it does clarify the following provisions. Youth sports and physical education in LA County 
are permitted only outdoors. Physical distancing of at least six feet must be maintained at all times with a stable cohort. That means the same group. Masks are not required uh, when, when young people are outside engaging in activities that require a lot of, phys of physical exertion. At all other times, masks are required. For sports that require close, closer contact than the six feet, only conditioning and skill building is permitted at this time. Tournaments, events, and competitions are not allowed. And adult amateur team sports are also not permitted at this time. We all know by now that COVID-19 affects all of us and can hurt us, make us sick, regardless of our age. It also causes a ripple effect that ends up infecting many of the people we love. A young person that goes to a party can then go back home or to work and infect parents, older relatives, or people with underlying health conditions, causing them great harm. Too many cases, too many cases here in our county, and we aren't able to reopen our schools and get people back to work. So I really like to encourage everyone, especially younger adults, to think about this when you're deciding whether to see a group of friends at a party or whether you can stay home and visit with your friends virtually. We can and will one day get to the point where hanging out with a group of friends is completely possible, but we're not there yet. And we need everyone's cooperation if we're gonna to get to that place. We need to be together in creating this new normal that allows us to get to the other side. And now I'll turn this over to my colleague, Dr. Christina Galley, who will provide updates from the Department of Health Services. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks again for joining us today. I'll provide a brief update on the hospital bed demand model and then also make some comments about the ongoing efforts to expand access to testing in our community-based testing sites. So first, with respect to the model, as always, the slides are located on both the county's COVID website as well as the Department of Health Services website if you'd like to review the slides. And they're available there in both English and Spanish. Uh, as of last week, we are now definitively seeing a gradual downturn in the number of new hospitalizations. This week, it's clear that the number of new patients with COVID-19 that are being hospitalized at public and private hospitals across Los Angeles County every day is decreasing slightly. The number of new daily cases requiring hospitalizations is starting to approach the no lower numbers that we were experiencing in May a couple of months ago. The transmission number, or R, that we refer to is now estimated to be 0.91 with a confidence interval that ranges from 0.83 to 0.99. This is virtually unchanged from the R that we reported in the model last week, which was reported at 0.92. We also continue to project that the county will have sufficient beds in the hospital to care for patients, both those with COVID-19, as well as those who require hospitalizations for other diseases and conditions. The number of available currently staffed ICU beds that are available right now at this time, which is always our tightest resource across the county, also appears to be adequate to be able to care for those people who require that higher level of intensive care over the next four weeks. However, as always, if transmission changes dramatically or starts to go up, then we would see an increased stress on overall hospital beds as well as ICU beds, and that number of ICU bed capacity could become 
become inadequate and would require hospitals to implement their search and disaster plans. This data overall is very encouraging, but we must remember that it reflects what was happening two to three weeks ago in our communities, and it could change based on the activities and practices that people take today. We can expect these positive trends excuse me, to continue only if we remain vigilant with following the same public health practices that allowed us to experience the decline in the first place that we're now seeing. There are a couple of conclusions to draw from this data that we're sharing and that is available on the slides. First, just please be reassured that the hospital system continues to be able to care for you. If you have COVID-19 or if you have other conditions that require emergency level or hospital level services, the hospitals are there, they have available beds, and they are safe places to go for care. The second is just a reminder that your actions and the things that you do every day absolutely have the power to change the the trajectory of this pandemic. Our use of facial coverings and masks, physical distancing, staying at home when sick, all of this results in less community transmission. We absolutely have the power to control this virus. It would be a mistake to conclude though that now that hospitalizations have begun to decline that it would be okay to lighten up and let up on these practices. We've seen this trend before and when we do so then those hospitalizations and those case rates and sadly the deaths start to climb. We cannot let us have the reassurance that moves us to the point of complacency. The virus is very capable of spreading. It is just as capable of spreading today as it was several weeks ago, and it will continue to spread if we give it a chance to do so. As Dr. Ferrer shared just a few minutes ago, we have seen a shift in the cases such that a younger population is increasingly getting infected and reported in the case rates. We are seeing this in our hospitals. Young people, including people, I will mention, with absolutely no underlying health conditions, are presenting to the emergency department unable to breathe. It is certainly not true that all young adults require hospitalization. They don't. All young adults don't require mechanical ventilation, and the vast majority certainly uh, will recover. However, no one is invincible. And the common understanding that I think was apparent and broadly believed at the beginning of the pandemic, that this was a disease or a condition that affected only the elderly or only individuals with underlying medical conditions is simply not true. While medically fragile individuals do seem to bear a certain vulnerability to the virus and are subject to more serious outcomes of the virus, the virus has also proven that it's very capable of spreading among any population and that it can absolutely affect young, healthy individuals, including those who have no medical conditions of any kind. The more widespread the virus is, the more it's transmitting in our community, the more daily exposures a person potentially has, the higher the risk that any of us have of getting infected and potentially experiencing a serious outcome. It is up to all of us to work to prevent this and to safeguard all of our collective health. Shifting now briefly to testing and then we'll open it up for questions. As a result of the department's efforts and the county's efforts to increase testing access over the past several weeks with, as I've mentioned before, a focus on particularly vulnerable populations, including low-income communities and communities of color, as of this week, the county-supported testing sites will have the capacity to test now up to 55,000 individuals per week. 
This is a significant increase from the previous number a couple of weeks ago of 40,000 county-supported testing slots per week. This is also not including the amount of testing capacity that's available in the state-sponsored sites as well as in various city-operated or city-sponsored sites. A few quick just notable updates on additional testing capacity and expansion. The testing site at Downey on the south campus of the Rancho Medical Campus opened yesterday. That site will be open seven days a week and will allow for 4,200 slots per week of testing capacity in a very at-risk and needy area in the county. The testing site that's located on the Charles Drew campus in South LA and Willowbrook has relocated just across the street to the Martin Luther King Jr. Medical Campus on the same general area. The move happened because we needed to make space for the construction of the MLK Child and Family Wellbeing Center, which is, is in and of itself a novel and exciting and innovative project that will help expand services to children and families within South Los Angeles. That testing site is still available. It still has the same capacity. It is only just moved right next door. Additionally, four new county-supported testing sites operated by OptumServe will begin to offer appointment availability later this month. Those include sites in Compton, Florence Firestone, Azusa, and MacArthur Park. There will be specific launch dates in the future that will be posted in the county. Two additional sites also operated by OptumServe will be adding new capacity starting on Monday, August 10th. Those are the sites located at Cal State LA as well as Hawthorne Memorial Center in Hawthorne. I encourage everyone to keep wearing your mask, stay at home when you can, and please physically distance whenever you can and when you're not around members of your own household. I know that the days are feeling very long and that this is a trying time, but your efforts are absolutely making progress in our continued fight against COVID-19. With that, we'll turn it over for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press 1, then 0 on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the 1-0 command. If you are using a speakerphone, we ask that you please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, you may press 1, then 0 at this time. And let's see. We will start with the line of Colleen Shelby with Los Angeles Times. Please go ahead. If you can discuss a little bit uh, related to the state's announcement that there's been, you know, a little bit of a technical issue with test results data, uh, what type of consequences that has for the public health department's plans to kind of address the spread of the virus um, in dealing with contact tracing? I'm also wondering if you can briefly explain how the county is retrieving information pertaining to hospitalizations, since uh, the county has said previously that the tech issues are not related to the hospitalization data. Yeah, thanks so much for the question. Um, and yes, we're, we're of course very concerned about what the implications are of having problems with the data feed uh, from the electronic lab reporting system in terms of contact tracing. We've emphasized over and over, we can only contact trace when we actually have a positive lab result uh, that's reported to us and that we have accurate information to find the person who was positive. When we're missing uh, some labs, uh, it's going to, at first, it, it's definitely delaying our ability to contact people. Uh, and the second thing is um, it may, in fact, uh, be a significant amount of time that has gone past, so much so that contact tracing 
uh, becomes less uh, useful. So for example, if we aren't able to get results within uh, 10 to 14 days from the time the person was tested, uh, it will be uh, not a not it will be a futile exercise for the purpose of isolating and quarantining people. We still always want to get in touch with people so that we can give them good information, make sure that they have a lot of support. But it does hurt our ability to do effective contact tracing. I will say I know the state is working, you know, around the clock, 24 hours a day, to try to get a resolution to this problem. Uh, and we are right now setting up a, a redundant system here in LA County that hopefully will be able to do a couple of things. One is uh, by the end of the week, uh, we should be able to have an accurate count ourselves because we're asking labs to report directly to us as well as to continue reporting to the state um, through a different file that they can send us that we'll load, we'll look for any duplicates and then we'll be able to have a better sense of what our case count is and most importantly, we'll be able to get positives while the state is figuring out just exactly how many cases may be getting lost uh, with the problem, with the technical issue that they're facing. Uh, we'll also, we've asked the labs to go back a week as well, uh, so that should help us figure out, uh, again, you know, as quickly as possible, if we've lost cases this past week uh, that we want to get a hold of folks so that we can begin the contact tracing process. In terms of the hospitalization data, it's a completely different feed. Uh, it's coordinated a very different way. Hospitals report, again, directly into a system. Uh, that system is working just fine. Uh, and a lot of information around hospitalizations is collected through that system. So again, uh, you know, I want to acknowledge this is sort of the system that is associated only with electronic lab reporting. It doesn't affect the other systems that the state is uh, managing uh, for the county. and fulfilling obligations for reporting to the federal government as well. So thank you. We'll take the next question. Thank you. And as a reminder, please limit your questions to one and one follow-up. We'll now live a line of Claudia Pichetta with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, I was hoping you could provide more details about the outbreaks among the U.S. grad students and the UCLA football players, how many cases, and have there been any hospitalizations or deaths associated with the three university outbreaks? Um, also, I'm wondering if there is an update on the first responder party at Sassafras Balloon. And then um, piggybacking on Colleen's question about the backlog, I'm just wondering how all this affects the modeling, especially on the transmission rate. And when that backlog comes in, are you going to be able to adjust the numbers for the past two weeks, given that the figures affect the county's ability to come off the watch list? Thank you. I'm going to answer um, some of them, and then Dr. Galley is going to really talk about uh, how these uh, delays or, um, you know, sort of not having complete data, incomplete data affects the modeling. Um, but let me just let me just start with the, the last question about um, what's what's the impact of, um, you know, not having the accurate data on our ability to actually understand the transmission rates, et cetera, for us as public health people. You know, we're obviously going to do our very best uh, to make sure that we do everything we can to identify the close contacts of people who are infected. I want to note that we have a line that we've set up uh, where people can call us directly if they're positive. And I want to note that that's important because although we're not getting the data at the Department of Public Health, 
There's no interruption in the data getting to providers. Uh, the labs report that information to a provider and in some cases directly to a patient. That is not part of this data collection system that's interrupted and not working so well. So patients will get their information about their lab results and they can call us um, toll free if they need uh, our support and uh, it would be helpful so that we can in fact start that contact tracing uh, problem. In terms of the football players um, at UCLA, uh, we know that there's uh, at least eight players that are confirmed positive. Uh, they are testing all of their close contacts uh, and uh, com continuing to do that investigation. Uh, we're helping with that and uh, we continue to make sure that everybody who is uh, a close contact is quarantined and all of the players who were positive are in fact isolated for the full 10 days. Um, and the question about the first responder uh, party, I, I'm not sure, we haven't really verified who was at that party. I do know there's ongoing investigations. Uh, our inspectors have been out there. That bar is closed um, and uh, was only open for that one instance for a private party and they remain closed. I know that the Alcohol and Beverage Commission is also investigating as well as um, folks from the city of LA. So I think these are ongoing investigations. You know, from our perspective, the most important thing is uh, there are, that people are very clear, like private parties are not allowed at bars. They're not allowed in, in houses uh, when uh, you have people who aren't in your household that are gathering. There's nothing about saying it's a private party excluded uh, the obligation on the hosts of that party and for the bar, the owners of that bar, to follow all of the directives. I mean, we're very clear on that and we hope others are as well. I'll turn it over to Dr. Galley uh, for, to talk about the modeling. Hi, so with respect to your question on the model, for the hospital bed demand model, it does not rely on any input of case data in the county or from the state. So how the model is developed is that it relies on hospitalization data. Uh, we do believe that the hospitalization data that we are using in the model is correct, uh, and it is not in any way affected by these other data issues. Uh, but the model was built that way because that hospital is, it's, to start with, it's projecting hospital bed demand, so it's the logical input. But also, it's then not subject to some of the challenges of case rate data. Case rate data obviously uh, never perfectly represents the total case rate because that depends on how many people are being tested. And so in the absence of knowing what the true case rate is, which would require perfect testing, uh, there's a lot of challenges with using that as a model input into the data. So because we aren't dependent on that as an input and rely only on the hospital bed data for development of the projections on hospital bed demand, it's, it's entirely unaffected by the challenges in the CalReady system. We'll take the next question. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Phil Schumann with Fox 11. Go ahead. Hi, uh, Dr. Ferrer. Um, going back to what you were just referring to about parties are clearly not allowed. Uh, what also seems clear is that there is no enforcement for those who willingly violate the rules, such as that huge mansion party on Monday night on Mulholland. Who specifically is responsible for enforcing your emergency orders? And why hasn't that been done? Yeah, thanks. It's a great question, and, and I know we, we've been trying to answer it for the last few days, and I, I sense the dissatisfaction with the answer. I want to start with the place where I think the most important obligation rests, 
and that's with the hosts of the party. We're a really large county, and private parties can happen everywhere and do happen in so many different locations. To rely on an enforcement strategy uh, to shut down uh, parties, especially large parties like this was, I think uh, really um, makes it, um, it really takes away from what the focus really needs to be. This is a pandemic situation none of us have ever lived through, hopefully don't have to live through it again. Uh, the only way we're getting out of this is if everyone cooperates. Uh, this, there is no single enforcement strategy that's going to get us to the place where we're going to be able to shut down uh, activities that people continue to do in defiance of what I think at this point, forget about the order, what I think is logical and sensible. You're putting yourself and other people at grave risk when you're going to that party. We have a lot of community transmission. Dr. Galley has talked about it. I've talked about it. Dr. Davis has talked about it. Um, to expect that, that the way we're going to get through this is we're going to have enough police or enough public health folks that are going to go out and be able to shut down uh, activities that shouldn't be happening, I think is at this point um, you know, a little bit foolhardy. The better way for us to approach this is going to be by convincing everyone we really need you to do your part. We're not, we're not asking people to make sacrifices just for the sake of making sacrifices. The data is crystal clear. If you have a lot of transmission and people are getting together at parties where they're, not, where they're in close contact with people who aren't in their families, where they're not wearing their face coverings, where they're eating and drinking, it is almost impossible at this point in time for there not to be transmission of this virus. Uh, and whether a lot of it is happening with asymptomatic folks who are transmitting or there are some folks who are mildly ill and attending and transmitting, the end result is the same. We end up with more community transmission in L.A. County, and as we all know, that is slowing down the recovery. I would say the most important goals for us as a county right now are to be able to get our children back to school and to get people who are not able to go back to work to be able to go back to work because we can reopen those businesses. And, and that puts the partying uh, sort of off the table. It means, yes, sacrifice. We can't have parties right now uh, because our enforcement strategies, although we are out there, our inspectors are serving notices, telling people they need to close them down. Law enforcement is helping us when they're able to. We respond to over 2,000 complaints every week about violators at businesses, and we try to get out to all of those uh, to, to make sure people understand what they need to do, and then they're doing it. Uh, but the better strategy is for people to help us by taking responsibility. And we'll take the next question. Our next question will come from the line of Amy Taxon with the Associated Press. Please go ahead. Thank you so much. I want to go back to the, the data issue and ask, how much data do you believe is being undercounted? And are you concerned that the impact of the problem in CalReady on contact tracing is going to end up leading to increased transmission of the virus in the county in the coming weeks? And also, how does the incomplete data affect the county's ability to meet the state's metrics for school waivers and business sector reopenings? Uh, thanks so much. Um, very thoughtful questions. Uh, and and I, I think um, we are very concerned about what the impact may be on contact tracing moving forward. Uh, that's why I know the state is working really hard, as are we, to set up a different system uh, for right now so that we can get right back to contact tracing as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I know that our contact tracing system uh, isn't perfect, 
uh, but we've reached almost 200,000 people through that contact tracing system. So we absolutely need that system uh, to be able to be as robust as possible and continue uh, in as uninterrupted a way as we can. And I do want to note the issue right now is not that we get no cases, because you saw today we were reporting on 2,300 new cases. So the issue just is that the feed is not 100% complete, and nobody is really sure how many cases are being dropped. Um, so we will continue to do our best with all of the cases that we do know about uh, and make our best efforts to contact those people quickly and then get in touch with their close contacts. Uh, but we are really worried about the fact that we're losing uh, some cases and that that may, in fact, uh, result in some small increases uh, in transmission uh, in the weeks ahead. We are urging people to call us if they know that they're positive and we haven't called them as a way for us to, again, try our best to get in touch with folks uh, who are positive uh, so that we can do that interview. Um, and I, I think um, the other question was, uh, what is, what is, what's the problem now if we don't have good data around uh, being able to meet any of the waiver requirements or issue waivers? And um, the state is also aware of that, and they've kind of put a pause on updating uh, the list, uh, the, the data monitoring list that they use for counties until we fix um, the problem with the undercount. Um, because it's an undercount, um, it really just for us means uh, that we know we still have a lot of work to do because we're still seeing a lot of cases here and we still can do a lot of work to bring down our transmission rate. But the state has put a pause on uh, really updating uh, the monitoring list on their website while they fix uh, the, the problem that they're having with an accurate count of the number of new cases. We'll take the next question. Next question will come from the line of David Rosenfeld with LA Jailing. Go ahead. Hi, thanks so much. Um, I wanted to ask an overall question. Um, going back to May and, and June in that time frame when we were asking you what, when you thought we could reopen, you, know, you said that shutdowns were sort of a blunt instrument and we would need to rely on other tools like contact tracing and robust testing. But given our experience in the past month, I wonder how you look at that now and what is your realistic time frame for opening? You know, today I think the language was just to expect this to go on longer. So are we waiting for a new treatment or a vaccine? Is that, is that really what we're looking at as far as reopening? And if not, what, how, how will we, we go about reopening differently so that we don't have the same outcome? Thank you. Um, thanks so much for that question. I think uh, last week I really talked about the fact that you're, we're hopeful um, if we can think about three new C's that we all get to do together. Uh, it's containment, compliance, and collaboration. Um, and that may be the way we thread the needle, because you're absolutely right. We are threading a needle. We are trying to both uh, go on our recovery journey, which means reopening, and keep our case count as low as possible. Um, those three strategies, I think, uh, give us a lot of hope. Um, you know, containment is the strategy we just were talking about uh, when we're referring to making sure that we're able to uh, contain the virus by noticing who's positive and asking those people and their close contacts to take themselves out of circulation. That relies on testing and isolation and quarantine. So that containment side of the house has to be very, very strong. 
Dr. Galley just announced that we have testing capacity of up to 50,000 tests a day. That takes care of making sure that people who need to get tested will be able to get tested in this county. And we have dramatically increased our capacity to do contact tracing. We're trying some new things, uh, incentives, partnerships with community organizations so that we can build more trust around our system. Um, but that side of the house is really, really important uh, when you don't have a stay-at-home order. A stay-at-home order keeps everyone at home. Containment strategies really try to identify those people who are most likely to pass on the infection and ask them to appropriately stay at home. The other side of the house is the compliance side, and, and we've talked a fair amount about, about that today. Uh, compliance for us means uh, a couple of things. The first thing is that people understand that the health officer orders are directives and that we spell out for every sector what you need to do in order to create as safe an environment as possible for workers, for residents, and for visitors. Those could be customers as well. Uh, that side has to be really, really in place as well. And I know people think about compliance as only being enforcement. I think about compliance as being everyone's ability to do their part. That's what compliance means for me. You know what you need to do, and you're able to do it. And we support you as much as we can in doing the right thing. And the last is the collaboration. It takes a lot of collaboration for us to get to the other side. We need to speak with one voice. We need to be united around the goals, uh, not just in terms of the elected officials working well with public health officials, but I mean uh, our partnerships with our residents. Uh, those need to be strong. Uh, I think uh, L.A. County is uh, known for our ability to come together, do things that are tough, and accomplish our goals, and, and that's why I remain hopeful that we can do this if we do those three Cs, containment, compliance, and collaboration, without having to go back to shutting everything down. It doesn't mean that shutting everything down is off the table. It means that we have some tools and we think they'll work um, if we all you know, are part of this team trying to make it all work. We have time for one more question. We'll go to the line of Jim Roop with Westwood One News. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, Doctor. Uh, with all due respect, the uh, an aggressive enforcement strategy is not uh, foolhardy. People cooperate and comply, not necessarily because they want to cooperate and comply, but because they know there are consequences if they don't. That's how laws are followed. That's how your kids behave out of the, in the public. So if the police were to shut down that party, to dovetail off of Phil's question, that Probably, first of all, the, the, the young lady who, who was killed would not have been shot later on in the, in the morning. And there, that, that possible super spreader event would have, been, would have been eliminated. No wonder people are frustrated, angry, frightened, and rebellious because they don't really know what's going on. There is, nothing real, there is no real strategy to stop this thing other than we're told we all should cooperate. When you sit around the office with everyone, what do you say needs to be done. There has to be an enforcement strategy. It has to be aggressive. People won't cooperate just because. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks a lot. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely in favor of an enforcement strategy, and we do have an enforcement strategy. We work both with our state partners, our local partners, um, to do the best we can on the enforcement side of the house. So what I think is, uh, is foolhardy is to rely on enforcement 
as being the way we're going to make sure um, that everyone complies. And, and we probably just disagree on uh, an assessment about what motivates people to do the right thing. I'm a firm believer that people can be motivated to do the right thing when they have good information about the kinds of decisions uh, that need to be made to protect themselves, the people they love, and the community they live in. And, and from public health, we're going to continue to make sure that people have that good information. Um, some of our biggest successes that have happened in public health have been about putting in place systems that make it easier for people to do the right thing. Uh, that includes, you know, having people use their seatbelts, uh, having people have access to safe water, uh, having people have access to, uh, to clean air. But we do have regulatory mechanisms, so I appreciate your question, because in all of these instances, we have regulatory me uh, mechanisms that make it much easier for there to be compliance. Um, we have laws that govern how cars get built and what they have to have inside of them to protect ourselves, uh, and we have laws about our, uh, our plants and our, uh, our businesses uh, and how they have to comply to make sure that, in fact, um, we are reducing exposures, unnecessary exposures to dangers uh, because of those laws. So I'm not against laws and I'm not against enforcement, but I think when you're in the middle of a pandemic, you have to also make sure that people feel like they can be part of this team uh, because it's so important uh, for us to all be together to save lives. Um, and we, you know, as I've said, I mean, there's enforcement happening. We issue citations on a regular basis. You've seen us close businesses down. Uh, we're not against enforcement. I just, uh, I feel very strongly that um, this is a situation where we cannot just rely on enforcement. And we're going to need to make sure that compliance happens uh, because we all decide uh, this is the most important thing we need to do right now. And now we'll go to remarks in Spanish um, and starting with uh, Supervisor Solis. Buenas tardes. Gracias por estar aquí hoy día con nosotros. Soy Supervisora Hilda Solís, Vicepresidente de la Junta de Supervisores en el Condado de Los Ángeles. Hoy quiero reconocer el trabajo de nuestros 10 millones de residentes en el condado. Esta crisis ha causado un gran número de víctimas, pero su compromiso en ayudar uno a otro es bueno. Esta semana el número de personas en los hospitales ha bajado y eso nos da mucha esperanza. Esto quiere decir una cosa, nos estamos protegiendo uno al otro. Tenemos que continuar, tenemos que continuar quedándonos en la casa, continuar evitando las reuniones y tenemos que asegurar usando una mascarilla de tela para la cara y mantener seis pies de distancia de los otros. La verdad es que no podemos regresar a nuestras vidas normales. En este momento no se puede. Les agradezco por sus sacrificios en cuidar uno al otro. De cumplir con esta, en este momento, tenemos que apoyar la salud de nuestras comunidades. Muchas áreas en el condado faltan recursos. Esto es obvio. En el sudeste de Los Ángeles es una de estas regiones. De hecho, la ciudad de Bell es una área que tiene muchas necesidades médicas y la menor tasa de acceso de atención médica en el condado. Por eso luché por tener un sitio de pruebas en Bell y otro también en Southgate. También es por eso que presenté una moción ayer 
en la Junta de Supervisoras que aprobaron para que el Departamento de Servicios de Salud establece una clínica nueva en la ciudad de Bell. Este, en este sitio habrá un equipo de enfermeras, médicos y otros profesionales quienes pueden ayudar a la gente con COVID-19. El acceso a la atención médica es tan importante. Cada comunidad lo merece. Voy a seguir luchando para abrir estas clínicas de salud. Hoy la doctora Ferrer habló sobre de unos grupos más afectados de nuestra comunidad, los adultos jóvenes. Los adultos jóvenes representan un alto número de los nuevos casos positivos. Ellos representan el 76% de los nuevos casos. De estos casos, las 54% de los nuevos casos fueron entre personas menos de 30 años. Esta es una de las razones por las que habrá más información en Twitter, en Facebook y en Instagram del, de parte del Condado de Los Ángeles. Cuando se trata de COVID-19, no importa su, su edad. El COVID-19 también ha impactado a jóvenes por la falta de trabajos. Por eso quiero hablar sobre un programa del condado que ofrece trabajos a jóvenes de bajos recursos. El programa se llama Youth at Work. Los jóvenes participando en este programa ganan 15 dólares por 120 horas y trabajan y aprenden. El año pasado, casi 20,000 jóvenes participaron en Youth at Work. Este año, con la pandemia, estos jóvenes van a trabajar virtual. Jóvenes por todo el condado entre en los años de 14 a 24 años son elegibles. Pueden llamar a 211 para conseguir más información de parte de este programa. También quiero hablar de otro compromiso del condado. Para proteger la salud pública, vamos a mandar a todos los votantes registrados un folleto de votar por correo para la elección general el 3 de noviembre. Vamos a mandar estos folletos de votar el 5 de octubre, dos meses a partir de hoy. Votantes ya han comenzado a recibir correos del condado para confirmar su dirección. El crítico es que todos los votantes tienen una opción segura para poder votar en las elecciones en noviembre. Así no nos exponen al virus. Anímanos a los votantes a participar en esta elección para mandar un folleto de votar por correo. También habrá centros de votación en persona para votantes también. Todos deben de participar en las elecciones generales de 3 de noviembre. Votar es necesario para nuestra salud y nuestra democracia. Muchas gracias y quiero ahora uh, presentar a Jacqueline Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. El lunes reportamos eh, estar cuidadosamente optimistas sobre lo que muestran nuestros números, particularmente la información acerca de, de reducciones en nuestras hospitalizaciones y um, diarias. Mientras esto sigue siendo cierto, hoy continuamos um, enfocándonos en la palabra cuidadosamente uh, en cuanto hablamos de la esperanza que sentimos. También tenemos que tener en cuenta, como informamos ayer, que han habido problemas con los datos uh, informados por el Estado y que ha llevado a un recuento insuficiente de nuestros casos durante posiblemente dos semanas. 
aunque la falta de datos es preocupante y hace más difícil vigilar y reducir la propagación de COVID-19. Las fuentes de datos que rastrean otros indicadores importantes, incluyendo las hospitalizaciones y muertes, no se ven afectadas por este problema de informes y vemos tendencias positivas en, esas, en esos indicadores. Mientras vemos hacia el futuro y continuamos planificando nuestra recuperación, eh, debemos aprender del pasado reciente y continuar nuestra vigilancia frente a este virus uh, aún nuevo y peligroso. Recordarán que hace unos meses estábamos en un lugar mucho mejor que ahora. Desafortunadamente, muchos de nosotros pensamos que eso significaba que podríamos volver a la vida como la conocíamos antes de COVID-19. Y como comunidad, regresamos a un lugar donde COVID-19 se estaba propagando a una tasa más alta de lo que vimos en los primeros días de la pandemia. La, la principal diferencia uh, esta vez fue que las personas que estaban conduciendo el número, uh, perdón, el aumento en la tasa de infección eran mucho más jóvenes de lo que habían sido inicialmente. Así que hoy compartiremos lo que estamos viendo más de cerca entre nuestros jóvenes adultos y adultos mayores, es decir, las personas entre las edades de 18 y 49 años. Mientras este rango de edades puede parecer enorme y muy diferente, en realidad son muy similares uh, en términos de sus comportamientos. Estas son las personas que son parte de la fuerza laboral y en muchos casos pueden estar haciendo compras, disfrutando de lugares recreativos que están abiertos y socializando con personas fuera de su hogar. Ese también es un grupo de edades importante ya que vemos reportes de grandes fiestas. Las reuniones entre personas de diferentes hogares es una mala idea por ahora, uh, especialmente cuando muchas personas han expandido el número de contactos al regresar a trabajar, ir de compras o comer afuera. Simplemente las reuniones no están permitidas bajo la orden del oficial de salud porque crean mucho riesgo de transmisión durante estas actividades que realmente no son esenciales y que nos dañan a todos mientras tratamos de reducir nuestras tasas de casos para que nuestros niños puedan regresar a la escuela y nuestros adultos puedan regresar a sus trabajos. Le pedimos a todos que tomen buenas decisiones, no organice grandes fiestas y no asista a una fiesta donde lo hayan invitado. No vale la pena el riesgo que corre y el riesgo que crea durante nuestro viaje colectivo hacia la recuperación. Recibimos muchas preguntas sobre cómo hacemos cumplir la orden y por qué no estamos haciendo un mejor trabajo en cerrar estas fiestas y estos negocios que no están en cumplimiento. Estamos trabajando arduamente para responder a los miles de quejas que recibimos que están relacionadas con el, el incumplimiento. Utilizamos muchas herramientas diferentes y obtenemos ayuda de otras agencias reguladoras y cuando corresponde de la aplicación de la ley para educar y hacer cumplir las órdenes actuales. Creemos que una pregunta igualmente importante de hacernos es por qué tanta gente está dispuesta a poner en riesgo a toda nuestra comunidad durante esta pandemia sin precedentes. Una cosa segura es de que no podremos detener a todos para salir de este, este problema durante esta pandemia. Solo superaremos esto con todos haciendo su parte.
hoy con el objetivo de brindar información sobre la mejor manera de hacer su parte. Eh, queremos actualizarlo sobre lo que estamos viendo en los colegios y universidades y compartir con ustedes nuestros protocolos. También tenemos una actualización sobre los permisos para las escuelas primarias que hemos mencionado anteriormente y los deportes juveniles. Comenzaremos con la actualización de hoy. Estamos tristes de reportar 68 fallecimientos adicionales hoy. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 4,825 en el condado de Los Ángeles. El 92% de las personas que han muerto por COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Para las 4,520 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza y etnicidad, 49% son latinas, 24% son blancas, 15% son asiáticas, 11% son afroamericanas, menos de 1% son nativas de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y 1% son de otra raza etnicidad. Hoy estamos reportando 2,347 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 197,912. Estamos reportando 1,178 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Entre estos casos, 374 fueron remitidos a sitios de aislamiento y cuarentena para ser eh, adecuadamente aislados durante su enfermedad. 1,768 casos confirmados están hospitalizados actualmente. El 30% de estas personas uh, están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 18% están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 1,333 entornos de congregación residencial y no residenciales con al menos un caso confirmado de COVID-19. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 27,988, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. 14,947 de estos casos confirmados son residentes y 13,041 personas son empleados. Nos da tristeza informar que 2,270 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido por COVID-19, lo que representa el 50% de todos los fallecimientos. La mayoría de estas personas residían en centros de enfermería especializada. De 67 fallecimientos reportados hoy, 15%, o sea, el 22%, fueron fallecimientos asociados con las enfermerías, los centros de enfermería especializada. También reportamos eh, 3,435 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel, 3,065 entre personas encarceladas y 370 empleados. La oficina del Aguacil informa sobre sus instalaciones que 35 personas encarceladas han dado positivo, 58 personas están en aislamiento y 1,176 están en cuarentena. Hay 196 casos en la prisión estatal y 757 casos en las prisiones federales y 119 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. 
1,839,157 personas han sido evaluadas eh, por COVID-19 y se han reportado resultados al condado de Los Ángeles. El 10% fueron positivas. Y ahora hay que poner en contexto lo que vemos cada día por edad. First slide, thank you. Este gráfico muestra la tasa promedia de casos por 100,000 personas por cada categoría de edad. Puede ver que hasta la tercera semana de julio, los casos aumentan abrupta, abruptamente entre los adultos más jóvenes, representando por, representados por las líneas azules y amarillas. La línea azul que representa a los adultos de 30 a 49 años tiene la tasa de casos más alta entre todos los grupos de edad en el condado de Los Ángeles. Desde principios de junio, las tasas de casos para este grupo eh, casi se triplicaron a un máximo de, un, de, perdón, de 1,122 casos por cada 100,000 personas uh, el, desde el 24 de julio. La línea María, justo debajo de la línea azul, representa el grupo de adultos más jóvenes, personas de entre 19 y 20, perdón, 18 y 29 años. Las tasas de casos para este grupo se cuadruplicaron desde el 9 de junio hasta finales de julio, ya que sus tasas de casos aumentaron de alrededor de 200 casos a principios de junio a un pico de 882 el 23 de julio. Este crecimiento explosivo en los casos muestra que estos grupos de edad están impulsando los aumentos en infecciones en el condado de Los Ángeles en este momento y constituyen la mayor parte de nuestros casos nuevos. Nuestros datos más recientes muestran que los jóvenes de entre 18 y 49 años representan el 60% de los casos nuevos, con los de entre 30 a 49 años uh, impulsando la mayoría de los casos. Next slide. Los, pa los pacientes entre 18 y 29 años, la línea María, ahora representan más del doble de la proporción de todas las hospitalizaciones uh, que vimos que de abril. Ahora coinciden con la tasa de hospitalizaciones de personas de 80 años o más. Y las personas entre 30 y 49 años, la línea verde, representan uno de cada cuatro pacientes hospitalizados aquí en el condado. En comparación, las hospitalizaciones de las personas de 80 años o más han caído a la mitad desde un pico en abril. Next slide. Aunque vimos eh, un aumento en las hospitaliz hospitalizaciones de nuestros residentes más jóvenes, nuestros residentes mayores fueron los que trágicamente continuaron muriendo como resultado de COVID-19. La buena noticia, sin embargo, como puede ver en este gráfico, es que los fallecimientos por lo general están disminuyendo. Como hemos dicho antes, los fallecimientos atribuidos a COVID-19 en mayor parte fueron entre personas viviendo en hogares de ancianos y otros centros de atención a largo plazo. La notable mejora en esta área es el resultado del uso de la ciencia uh, para realizar cambios importantes que protegen a los empleados y a los residentes en los centros de enfermería. Queremos advertir 
que esto no significa que los jóvenes no corran riesgo de morir por COVID-19. Reportamos 32 fallecimientos trágicos de personas entre las edades de 18 y 29 años y 319 fallecimientos uh, entre personas uh, de las edades de 30 a 49 años. No importa cuán joven sea, uno está en riesgo. Y también es importante recordar que aunque usted como individuo no sufra grandes consecuencias debido a COVID-19, podría infectar a alguien que ama y a su familia o amistad y ellos se podrían enfermar gravemente y hasta morir. Y ahora también queremos informar acerca de los colegios y universidades que son instituciones tan importantes en nuestra comunidad. Sabemos que muchos estudiantes y personal están ansiosos por volver a su vida uh, en su escuela, pero simplemente no será posible volver a la vida universitaria, uh, universitaria tal como la conocíamos. Los dormitorios, las aulas, la vida social que ofrecen nuestros colegios y universidades eh, son entornos de alto riesgo para la propagación de COVID-19. Ya comenzamos a ver zonas críticas y un brote en colegios y universidades locales. El brote más grande está conectado a la Universidad del Sur de California, USC por sus siglas en inglés, donde estamos investigando un brote de COVID-19 en tres fraternidades. Hay 45 casos confirmados de COVID-19 asociados con esta investigación. También en un caso separado, vimos un pequeño brote entre estudiantes de USC que socializaban, estudiaban y podían haber vivido juntos. Y en UCLA vimos que un número de jugadores de fútbol americano que regresaron a la escuela dieron positivo. Con este conocimiento necesitamos continuar planificando para la seguridad de los estudiantes, el personal y sus familias. En este punto, no estamos seguros de cuándo los colegios y las universidades del Condado de Los Ángeles puedan reabrir para el aprendizaje en el aula. Estamos esperando que el Estado emita su guía y directivas que puedan uh, distinguir, como fue el caso con las escuelas de kinder al 12 grado, que actividades permitidas puedan suceder en las instituciones en los condados con las altas tasas de transmisión comunitaria en comparación con los condados con bajas tasas de transmisión. Para adelantarnos a los desafíos que enfrentamos cada vez que los estudiantes universitarios comiencen a regresar a la escuela, hemos creado uh, protocolos comprensivos que todas las, los, eh, perdón, las uh, universidades y colegios um, de educación superior deberían cumplir antes de reabrir. Los protocolos publicados en nuestro sitio web tocan todos los aspectos de la vida en la escuela universitaria. Como todos los demás lugares de trabajo, los colegios y universidades deberán intensificar sus prácticas de control de infecciones, incluida la desinfección regular de los espacios comunes, el uso constante de cubiertas de tela de, de cara, en todas las áreas de la escuela y en la reconfiguración de los espacios, incluyendo dormitorios para permitir el distanciamiento físico. 
Y al igual que otros lugares de trabajo, los colegios y universidades tendrán que evaluar a sus empleados y a estudiantes para COVID-19 y notificar al Departamento de Salud Pública cuando ocurran grupos de casos para que podamos ayudar a detener eh, la transmisión del virus. Debido a que los sitios universitarios eh, existen al centro de comunidades más grandes, uh, se debe prestar mucha atención a los pasos que las instituciones toman para proteger a los eh, residentes de la comunidad de las exposiciones que empiezan en su sitio escolar. Esto incluye buenas comunicaciones, apoyo a las estrategias para frenar la propagación de COVID-19 en la comunidad y minimizar el riesgo. Tenemos una colaboración productiva con los colegios y universidades y esperamos continuar la estrecha relación de trabajo a medida que nos acercamos al otoño. Y también queremos tocar brevemente un anuncio que hicimos ayer. Eh, vamos a seguir la nueva guía del Departamento de Salud Pública de California que recomienda que los condados con tasas de 200 casos o más por cada 100,000 residentes no extiendan permisos para la reapertura de la instrucción en el aula, aula para estudiantes en grados de prekinder a sexto grado. La tasa de casos del condado de Los Ángeles actualmente es de 330 por 100,000 personas y según los datos vamos a considerar, no vamos a considerar las solicitudes uh, de permisos en este momento. Sabemos que para muchas familias este es un anuncio decepcionante, pero se basa en la ciencia y los datos uh, que guían nuestras decisiones. Necesitamos garantizar la salud y la seguridad de nuestros niños, maestros, personal y todas sus familias. Esta decisión será reconsiderada una vez que la tasa de casos baje a los niveles recomendados por el Estado. Y finalmente tenemos otra actualización para todos sobre los deportes juveniles. Como todos saben, el Estado anunció la reapertura de los deportes juveniles a principios de esta semana y dio a conocer su guía para la operación segura de las ligas deportivas juveniles. Aclara las siguientes cosas. Eh, los deportes juveniles y la educación física están permitidos solo al aire libre. El distanciamiento físico de al menos de seis pies debe mantenerse en todo momento uh, y dentro del mismo grupo de jóvenes. No se requieren máscaras cuando se realizan actividad, actividades al aire libre y estas actividades que requieren esfuerzo físico. Para, las de, para los deportes que requieren un contacto más cercano, solo se permite el acondicionamiento físico y el desarrollo de habilidades. Y no se permiten torneos, eventos y competiciones. En este momento no se permiten deportes de equipo para adultos y aficionados. Sabemos que COVID-19 puede afectarnos a todos sin importar qué tan jóvenes uh, seamos. También puede causar una cadena que termina infectando a los que amamos. Un joven que se va a una fiesta puede volver a casa e infectar a sus padres o a parientes mayores, causándoles un gran daño. Algún día podremos llegar al punto en que sea posible salir con un grupo de amigos, pero todavía no hemos llegado a ese punto. Y necesitamos la cooperación de todos para llegar ahí. Necesitamos estar juntos para crear esta nueva normalidad. Okay, and now we'll move on to one question. 
one question in Spanish? Oh, can you please queue up the questions in Spanish? Press one. Oh, thank you. It's one then zero for questions. Thank you. Oh, por favor, eh, oprima el, el uno y después el cero para eh, darnos su pregunta. All right, we'll go to the line of Stephanie Bradford with KMEX. Please go ahead. Hola, eh, tengo una pregunta de dos partes. Primero que todo, eh, ¿cuáles son las fallas tecnológicas en el sistema de laboratorio que se han visto? Y hay más personas contagiadas que no lo saben o hay más personas negativas que no lo saben eh, debido a esta falla. Muchas gracias por esta pregunta. Sí, el, el sistema del, del Estado uh, no necesariamente nos está dando todos los casos, así que no estamos seguros exactamente si hay más o menos. Uh, lo que sí sabemos es que uh, los datos que tenemos que mencionamos hoy de hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos siguen siendo um, factuales. Uh, vamos a seguir uh, trabajando con el Estado y con los sistemas que tenemos aquí localmente para asegurar de que tengamos los números correctos. Pero sí, ahorita la falla ha sido uh, la dificultad en recibir esa información directamente del, del Estado. Are there any other questions? There are no one else queuing up at this time. Okay, thank you so much. So now we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Parior Bolorin. Shnorakalen Verahaskit Solisin. Verazkich Marmineri Vocht Horotin. Yerkushapti, yes, this asatsi, words Gushoren, Yev Lavat Surenem, Tramadrvats, Ein Masin, Te Inchen Sustalis, Mertvera, Masnavorapes, Amenora, Hospitalatsum Nerit, Navazum Neri Masin, Terekat Vutsunere. Yes, Nav Petkenashem, for Inchpes Yerek Zerkutsetzing, for Petagan Zerkutsvats, the Vialneri, Het Kapvats, Yerelen Eakan Hantirner, Yevda Hangetsrele Hanaravur, Yerku Shapatva and Hatskum, Mer Depkeri, Tera Katarmane, Tev Anhait Kuras, the Vialneri Mataho Kitchen, Yes. Chemtesnum Hochendot, Covid Tasninit Aratsuma Ditarkelu, Yev Navazasnelu Jankiri, Tavialneri Himnakan, Achpurnere, Vorong, Hetevumen, Ail Himnakan, Tsutsanishnerin, Nerarial Hospital Atsumnere, Yev Mahavan Depkere, Chenazdum, Hashvet Vutian, Aishantrivera, Yev Menkaister Tesnumenk, Voroshaki, Drakan Artsunkner. Yermenk Nayumenk Depi Apagan, Yev Sharnakumenk Planavorel, Mervera Kangnuma, Menk Petkes Sovorenk, Anchalit, Yev Sharnakenk, Merz Goynutuna, Idemus, Eisder Nor Yevatangavor Virusin. Hishenk for Mikhane Amisaraj, Menk Shat Avili Lafte Rumenk, Kanhima, Tishbachtabar, Mezanit Shatere Kartsumen, Vormenk Karurenk Veradarnal, Ankyankin, Vormenk Gitenk Nakant, Covid Tasni Inna. Եվ երբ մենք որպես համայնք վերադարձանք միտեղ, որտեղ COVID-19 տարածումը նույնիսկ ավելի բարձր տեմպերով, քան նախկինում էր, այս անգամ հիմնական տարբերությունը այն է, որ վարակվածության մակարդակը ավելի երիտասարդ մարդկանց շրջանում է, քան նախկինում։ Այսպեսով, այսօր ես ուզում եմ ավելի մանրամասը դիտարկել այն, թե ինչ մենք տեսնում ենք մեր երիտասարդ եւ միջին տարիքի մարդկանց շրջանում։ Սրանք 18-ից 49 տարեկան մարդիկ են։ 
թե եւ դա կարող է թվալ որպես բնակչության հսկայական եւ անհամապատասխանության նրանց իրականում շատ նման են եւ իրենց վարքագծի առումով սրանք այն մարդիկ են ովքեր դուրս են աշխատաուժից եւ շատ դեպքերում կարող են գնումներ կատարել վայելելով դուրսը եւ հանգիստի վայրերը որոնք բաց են եւ շփվել իրենց տանից դուրս գտնվող մարդկանց հետ մենք խնդրում ենք որ բոլորը կայացնեն լավ որոշումներ մի հյուրընկալեք մեծ երեկույթներին եւ մի մասնակցեք այնպիսի երեկույթի որից որին հրավիրված եք չարժե ձեր գործած ռիսկը որը դուք ստեղծում եք մեր հավաքական վերականգնման ճանապարհության համար Ես շատ հարցեր եմ ունենում այս քայլերի վերաբերյալ թե ինչու չենք մենք անում ավելի լավ աշխատանք փակելով այն հավաքույթներին եւ փակելով այն բիզնեսները որոնք խախտում են հրամանը մենք քրտնաջան աշխատում ենք պատասխանելու այն հազարավորոնք մենք ստանում ենք կապված հրամանի խախտումների հետ մենք օկտագորցում ենք բազմաթիվ տարբեր գործիքներ եւ ստանում ենք մեծ օկնություն այլ կարգավորման մարմիններից եւ համապատասխան դեպքերում իրավապահ մարմիններից եւ մենք կրթում ենք բոլորին կատարելու գործող կարգադրությունները կարծում եմ որ հավասարապես կարևոր հարց է առաջանալու թե ինչու են այդքան շատ մարդիկ պատրաստ վտանգի ենթարկել մի ամբողջ համայք այս աննախադեպ համաճարակի ժամանակ ներկա իրավիճակը հետևյալն է այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 68 մահվան մասին այս մարդկանցից 23-ը 80 տարեկանից բարձր են որոնցից 17-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 24-ը 65 տարեկանից 79-ն է որոնցից 20-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 17 անձի տարիքը 50-ից 64-ն է եւ 13-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 3-ը 30 տարեկանից 49-ն են որոնցից 2-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 4520 մարդկանց համար ովքեր մահացել են էթնիկ պատկանելությունը հետեւյալն է 49%-ը լատինո լատինեկս, 24%-ը սպիտակ, 15%-ը ասիական, 11%-ը աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1%-ը բնիկ հավայան, 1%-ը այլ ռասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 4825-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 92%-ը ունեն ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջության լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն, մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինը սխուսափել սերտ կապերից։ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 2347 նոր դեպքերի մասին, եւ սա բերում է Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 1197912-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Լոնգ Բիչ քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 8362 դեպքեր, իսկ Փասադենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 2023 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 1178 հաստատված դեպքեր անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 374 անց 
պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են և սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1768 մարդ, որոնցից 30 տոքոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժամունքում, իսկ 18 տոքոսը միացված են շնչարական ոթապոխիչների։ Ներկայումս կնություններ են կատարվում 1333 ինստիտությոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, ոժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ և կրյակատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտությոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 27988-ն են ներարյալ անձնակազմը և բնակիչները։ Այս դեպքերից 14947-ը բնակիչներ են, 13041 անձնակազմ։ Ձավով ենք հայտնում, որ 2270 մարդ, ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտությոնալ պայմաններում, մահացել են կովիտ-տասնինից։ Ինստիտությոնալ միջավայրում բնակվող մահացացների 50 տոքոսը բնակվում էին հմուտ բուշքույրական հաստատությունն Մենք զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 3435 տեպքեր արձանագրվել են գրյակատարողական հիմնարկներում, 3065 դատապարծյալ և 370 աշխատակազմ, 196 տեպք նահանգային բանտերում, 137 բանտարկյալ և 59 աշխատակազմ, 757 տեպք վեդերալ բանտերում, 741 բանտարկյալ և 16 աշխատակազմ, 119 դեպք անչապահասների հաստատություններում, 47 բանտարկյալ և 72 աշխատակազմ։ Եվ լոսանջելո շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող եք տեսնել առողջապայության � 839,157 մարդ տեստավորվել են և արդյունքները զեկուցվել են լոսանջելուցի շրջան, որից 10 տոքոսը դրական են։ Սանկանում եմ նաև անդրադարնալ կոլեջների և համասայաններին, որոնք մեր համայքի կարովրագույն � բայց պարձապես հնարավոր չի լինի վերադարնալ կոլեջի կյանքին, կանի որ մենք գիտենք կովիտ-տասնինի տարացումը։ Դասասենյակները և մեր կոլեջներ ու համասանները առաջարկում են սոցիալական կյանք, որոնք Ամենամեծ բրնկումը կապված է Հարավային կալիվորնիայի համալսայանի հետ, որտեղ մենք կննում ենք կովիտ-տասնինի հետաքնության հետ կապված 45 հաստատված դրական դեպքեր։ Եվ յուսելիում մենք տեսանք մի շարկ վուտբոլիսներին, Հաշվի արնելով, որ այս վիրուսը հասել է այս երկրի բոլոր մասերին, ծանկալի է, այցելողները, երբ նրանք վերադարնում են իրենց համասանների ու սանողների հետ, մենք պետք է զգոն լինենք այն հարցում, թե ինչպես ենք մե
Այս պահին մենք համոզված չենք, երբ լոս անջելոր շրջանի քոլեջներն ու համասանները կարող են կրկին բացվել։ Համարսահանական դասանների ուսման համար։ Մենք սպասում ենք, որ պետությունը Մենք կազմեցինք արձանագրությունների պատետ, որին պետք է համապատասխանեն բարցրագույն բոլուր հաստատությունները նախկան վերաբացումը։ Արձանագրությունները, որոնք նախնական ձևով տեղադրում մենք, մեր բայց ընդհանուր նայն է, որ քոլեջներն ու համասաները, ինչպես եվ մնացած բոլոր աշխատատեղերը, ստիվված կլինեն ուժեղացնել վարակների վերահսկման իրենց գործելակերպը, նրարյալ ընդհանուր տարածքների կանոնավոր կազմավորումը վիզիկական հերավորություն հնարավորություն դարսնելու համար։ Մենք ունեցել ենք արդյունավետ համագործակցություն, կոլեջների և համարսայանների հետ անհամպերությամբ սպասում ենք սերտ աշխատանքային հարաբերությունների Մենք պատրաստվում ենք հավատարի մնալ Քալիվորնիայի Հանրային առաղջապայության դեպարտամենտի նոր ուղեցույսներին, որը խորուրդ է տալիս, որ հարյուր հազար բնակչի համար երկու հարյուր և ավելի դրական դեպքեր ունեցող շրջաննե ամեն հարյուր հազար մարդու համար։ Եվ այս պահին մենք չենք կնարկելու դիմումները։ Մենք գիտենք, որ շատ ընտանիքների համար սա հիաստապություն է, բայց այն հիմնված է արկա գիտության և տվյալների վրա, որոնք և անվտանգությունը նրանց բոլոր ընտանիքների համար։ Այս որոշումը կվերանայվի այն դեպքում, երբ կանակը ընգնի պետության առաջարկած մակարդակին։ Երդասարդական սպորտի վերաբերալ վերջապես եվս մեկ առակ պետությունը հայտարարեց այս շապատված կզբին երտասարդական սպորտի վերաբացման մասին և ազատեց նրանց առաշնորդությունը երտասարդական մարզական լիգյաների անվտան գործնեության համար։ Այս հստակեցնում է հետևյալ � անընթատ կայուն խմբի, երտասարդների միևնույն խմբի հետ։ Դիմակներ չեն պահանջվում, երբ դրսում են ներգրավում այնպիսի գործողություններին, ինչպեսին են վիզիկական ուշ։ Սպորտի համար, որոնք պահանջում են ավ 
բոլորս գիտենք որ կովիդ 19-ը կարևոր է եւ ազդել է բոլորիս վրա անկախ նրանից թե որքան երիտասարդենք մենք դա կարող է նաև հանգեցնել այնպիսի ազդեցության որը վերջի վերջով վարակվում է մեր սիրելիներին հավաքույթի մասնակցող երիտասարդը կարող է այն ու հետ է վերադառնալ տուն եւ վարակել ծնողներին կամ ավելի մեծ տարիքի հարազատներին պատճառելով նրանց մեծ վնաս չափազան շատ դեպքեր եւ մեզ թույլ չեն տալիս վերաբացել դպրոցները եւ մարդկանց վերադարձնել աշխատանքի ուստի ես իսկապես խրախուսում եմ բոլորին մանավանդ մեր երիտասարդներին մտածել այն մասին երբ որոշում եք հանդիպել մի խումբ ընկերների հետ երեկույթին մեկ օր կարող եք ասել այն հասնել այն կետին երբ հնարավոր լինի մի խումբ ընկերների հետ հանդիպել բայց մենք դեռ այնտեղ չենք եւ մենք պետք է բոլորի համագործակցությունը այդ կետին հասնելու համար մենք պետք է միասին լինենք ստեղծելու նոր նորմալը որը մեզ տանում է դեպի մյուս կողմը շնորհակալություն Thank you. Now the remarks in Korean. Annyeonghaseyo. 오늘은 젊은 층과 중년 층과 관련하여 더 자세히 살펴볼 것인데 이들은 18세에서 49세에 있는 사람들입니다. 이들은 나이 차이가 많이 나는 것 같아 보이지만 행동과 관련해서는 매우 비슷한 상황입니다. 이들은 직장에 가거나 쇼핑이나 열려있는 레크레이션 활동을 즐기고 있고 집 밖에 있는 사람들과 교류가 있는 층의 사람들입니다. 이 연령층은 또한 큰 파티에 참석하는데 현재 다른 가족 구성원들과 모이는 것은 매우 나쁜 아이디어입니다. 특히 많은 사람들이 직장으로 돌아가고 쇼핑이나 밖에서 외식을 하는 상태에서 함께 모이는 것은 보건 담당자 명령하에 허용되지 않습니다. 왜냐하면 이러한 활동들은 감염 확산의 위험을 높이고 또한 우리가 자녀들을 학교에 보내고 직장에 다시 복귀하려고 하는 노력에 도움이 되지 않습니다. 그러므로 우린 모두는 좋은 결정을 내려서 파티를 열지도 말고 초대를 받아도 참석하지 말아야 합니다. 이 위험을 감수한 가치가 없는 일입니다. 우리는 또한 왜 이러한 파티를 없애고 명령에 따르지 않는 사업체들을 폐쇄하지 않는지에 대한 질문을 받습니다. 우리는 이미 몇천 건의 고발 건에 응답을 하고 있고 현 명령을 지키도록 교육하기 위해 법 집행기관의 도움을 받고 있습니다. 한 가지 중요한 질문은 왜 많은 사람들이 우리의 전체 커뮤니티를 위험에 빠뜨리는 일을 하려고 하는가입니다. 한 가지 확실한 점은 우리 모두가 자신이 맡은 바 임무를 해야만 이 팬데믹을 이겨낼 수 있다는 것입니다. 그러면 이제 로스앤젤레스 카운티 보건 당국이 발표한 데일리 리포트를 말씀드리겠습니다. 유관스럽게도 코로나 바이러스로 인해 추가로 68명의 사망자가 보고되었습니다. 이 중에 23명은 80세 이상이고 이중 17명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 24명은 65세에서 79세 사이이고 이중 20명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 17명은 50에서 64세 사이이고 이중 13명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 3명은 30에서 49세 사이이고 이중 2명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 
패사디나 시에서는 한 명의 사망자가 있었으며 자세한 점은 cityofpasadena.net 웹사이트에서 보실 수 있습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 4,825명입니다. 코로나 바이러스로 인해서 사망한 분들 중에 92%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 오늘로써 2,347건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 19만 7,912건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치 시리에서 8,362건, 파사디나시에서 2,023건이 있었으며 이두 시는 각 보건부가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 노숙자들 중에 확진 케이스 수는 1,178건입니다. 이들 중에 374명이 보호소에서 고립되고 밀접 접촉자는 격리되었습니다. 현재 1,768명이 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이중 30%는 중환자실에 있습니다. 또한 2,309명의 확진자와 의심자가 현재 입원 중이고 18%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 1,333개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 이중 877개는 현재 조사 중이고 456개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 이 시설들은 양로원, 전문 간호시설, 보호소, 치료소, 서포트 리빙, 교도소, 직장, 음식점, 상점, 교육기관들을 모두 포함합니다. 이 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 2만 7,988건이고 이중 1만 4,947명은 거주자이며 1만 3,041명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 시설에 사는 사람들 중에 사망자 수는 2,270명이고 모든 사망자 수의 50%입니다. 대부분이 전문 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 오늘 보고된 사망자 수의 67명 중에 22%, 즉 15명이 전문 간호시설과 관련된 사망자입니다. 교도시설에서는 총 3,435건의 확진 케이스가 있었고, 이중 3,065명은 수감자이며 370명은 일하는 사람입니다. 지금까지 LA 보건부로 183만 9,157건 이상의 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었고 이중 10%는 양성 결과였습니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 4,520명의 사망자 중에 49%는 라틴 계열, 24%는 백인 계열, 15%는 동양인, 11%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 그리고 나머지 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 또한 전문 대학과 4년제 대학교 기관에 대해서 말씀드리고 싶습니다. 많은 학생들과 직원들이 대학교 캠퍼스로 돌아가고 싶어 하겠지만 알다시피 대학 생활로 돌아가기가 가능하지 않습니다. 학교 내의 기숙사 또 교실, 사회생활은 코비드19의 확산을 할 위험이 굉장히 높습니다. 우리는 이미 하나의 지역대학과 전문대학에서 발병이 보고되었음을 알게 되었습니다. 가장 큰 발병은 USC 대학과 관련이 있고 세계의 학생회의에서 발병한 확산을 조사 중입니다. 이 조사에는 45명의 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 또한 USC의 대학원 중 같이 공부하고 같이 살던 학생들 중에 또 역시 작은 발병이 있었습니다. UCLA에서는 캠퍼스로 돌아온 풋볼 선수들 중에서 확진자가 있었습니다. 이 바이러스가 이 나라의 모든 부분에 이미 널리 퍼져 있는 것을 볼때 또한 또이 바이러스들이 학생들과 함께 캠퍼스로 돌아올 때 우리는 다시 대학교를 여는 방법과 관련하여 매우 조심해야 합니다. 
우리는 계속해서 학생들, 직원들, 또그 가족들의 안전을 위해서 잘 계획해야 할 것입니다. 현재로서 LA 카운티에서는 전문대와 대학교들이 언제 다시 교실에서 배울 수 있을지 확실하지 않습니다. 주정부에서 케이프드루 12 학교들과는 다른 새로운 지침을 내리기를 기다리고 있습니다. 이 지침은 커뮤니티 확산이 높은 카운티와 낮은 카운티에서 어떤 활동들이 허락될 것인지 알려줄 것입니다. 대학생들이 캠퍼스를 돌아올 때 준비하고 있을 수 있도록 고등 교육원들에서는 따라야 할 프로토컬을 만들었습니다. 이 프로토컬은 보건국 웹사이트에 게시되어 있는데 대학 생활의 모든 부명과 관련하여 특히 교내 거주시설부터 교실, 군의 식당까지에 대한 모든 부면들이 언급되어 있습니다. 공통적인 것들은 다른 직장들과 마찬가지로 감염관리 지침, 공동구역을 살균하고 얼굴 가리개를 항상 착용하고 캠퍼스 공간을 재구성함으로써 기숙사 내에서도 신체적 거리 두기를 가능하도록 하는 것입니다. 다른 작업장들과 마찬가지로 전문대학교와 대학교들은 직원들과 학생들이 코비드19를 점검해야 하며 확산을 막기 위해서 발병 집단을 보건국에 보고해야 합니다. 전문대와 대학교 캠퍼스가 큰 커뮤니티 안에 있기 때문에 캠퍼스에서 발생하는 노출에서 거주민들을 보호하기 위해서 더 많은 관심이 필요합니다. 캘리포니아 보건국에서 나온 새로운 지침에 따라서 10만 명 주민당 200건 이상의 케이스가 있는 카운티는 어, TK6 학년 학생들을 위한 교실 내에 수업을 재개하기 위해 면제 신청을 연장하지 않을 것입니다. LA 카운티의 케이스율은 10만 명당 330건이고 이 수치에 의해서 우리는 면제 신청을 하지 않을 것입니다. 주정부는 이번 주 초에 청소년 스포츠 재개와 관련하여 안전하게 재개할 수 있는 다음의 지침을 발표하였습니다. 청소년 스포츠와 체육 과목은 오직 야외에서만 허용됩니다. 같은 그룹의 청소년들과 함께 적어도 6피트의 신체적 거리 두기를 항상 지켜야 합니다. 육체적 노력이 필요한 활동을 야외에서 할 때에는 마스크는 필수적이 아닙니다. 밀접 접촉이 필요한 스포츠는 기술 향상과 단련을 위해서만 허용됩니다. 대회나 이벤트, 경기는 아직 허용되지 않습니다. 또한 어른이나 아마추어 팀의 스포츠는 아직 허용되지 않습니다. 우리가 얼마나 나이가 어리든 코비드19는 우리 모두에게 영향을 미치고 있습니다. 우리가 사랑하는 사람들을 감염시킬 수도 있습니다. 만약 한 젊은 사람이 파티에 갔다가 집에 돌아오면 그 부모님들과 나이가 많은 친척들을 감염시킬 수도 있습니다. 그러므로 모든 사람들에게 권고하는 것은 특히 젊은 사람들은 파티에서 친구들을 만날 것인지 집에서 원격으로 만날 것인지를 결정할 때잘 생각해 보라는 것입니다. 우리가 언젠가 친구들을 만날 수 있겠지만 아직은 아닙니다. 우리는 모두가 함께 협력해야 하고 그래야만 이 팬데믹을 이겨나갈 수 있습니다. 감사합니다. Next, Ellen Chung from Environment Health will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 感谢督察委员Solis和全体督察委员会 
。星期一，我对我们目前疫疫情的数据抱有谨慎和乐观的态度，尤其是当入院人数持续下降的时候。尽管目前的数据乐观，但我还是要强调，我们需要谨慎，尤其是对我们未来走向，我们要抱有希望，但是仍需要谨慎。昨天我已经提及，在过去两星期中，州统计对我们县的统计数字有严重的低估。尽管这些未未及统计的数据给我们的监测带来了一些困扰和麻烦，但住院人数或死亡人数的统计没有受到影响。当我们为未来重启计划做计划时，我们必须参考过去的资料，对这些。全新的，而且非常危险的病毒所采取有效的防范或限制。大家还都记得几个月前的情况比现在要很好很多，所以现在也很难过，很多人都会错觉我们很快就能恢复 COVID-19 以前的生活状况。作为一个整体，目前 COVID-19 的传播速度比疫情初期更更快。更广泛。与疫情开始时不同的是，现在目前高传播的是年轻人，所以我们今天要着重的谈谈与年轻人和中年人有关的数据。这些人的年龄范围在十八到四十九岁之间。这这些数据看上去让人非常费费解，但想想这个年龄段的人。的日常活动，我们就可以不难的理解。这些人通常需要出去工作，在很多情况下，他们要出去购物，需要去娱乐场所，需要去与朋友交流。这是一个非常重要的年龄段，很多大型具体的主体都是这个年龄段的人。这个时候，不同的家庭成员。相聚是非常不合适的，尤其是工作中、购物中及外面就餐、新认识的朋友。居家令是不允许大型聚会的，因为大型聚会增加了传播的风险，这是不需要的，也是不可避免的。我慎重的要求每个人。都做出明智、明智的选择，不要举行大型聚会，不要参加聚会邀请，以你所承担的风险和给我们集体整个社区重启的路增添的风险来相比，这样的聚会实在不值得。很多人会质问我，为什么我们不能直接关闭这些聚会，关闭这些违法的相关的企业？我们收到了成千上万的非法的开业的不遵守居家令的徒售，我们利用一切可以利用的工具和其他执法部门一起来实施居家令，同时将给他们这些违法的聚会的人和企业给予教育。
。同时，另一个同样重要的问题是，为什么那么多人在这个之前所未有的病毒病毒期间，做一些不顾及整个社会安全的事情？有一点我可以肯定的是，我们不能通过逮逮捕。来解决这些问题，我们要通过每个人都各尽所能的合作，来这样让我们来度过这一波疫情。今天，尽管我们还没有很好的方法指导大家如何尽可能所能，但我想通过告诉大家，这些大学是可以做到的，哪些大学是如何做的，给我们一点启示。今天我也可会可以向大家更新以前提及过的小学开学的一些特例案。那我现在开始今天的简报，每日简报。很不幸，我们今天又有六十八人死于新冠病毒，其中二十三人年龄段是超过八十岁的老人，十七人已经患有其他疾病，那二十四个人是在七六十五岁到七十九岁之间。其中二十个人是患有其他疾病，十七个人是介于五十岁到六十四岁之间，其中十三人患有其他疾病，三个人年龄是介于三十到四十九岁之间，其中两人患有其他疾病，一人是来自于帕萨迪纳。这样，我们全县总共死亡人数就达到四千八百二十五人之多。请让我利用这个机会，为这些失去亲人的家庭致以问候。你们家人的去世对我们整个团体是一个损失。我们中间去世的这么多人里面，有百分之九十二的人都是患有其他疾病的。对四千五百二十个已经确定足于病情的逝者，有百分之四十九属于拉丁裔，百分之十五属于百分之二十四属于白人，百分之十五属于亚裔，百分之十一属于非裔，不到。百分之一的是属于太平洋群岛或夏威夷群岛的，而还有剩下的百分之一是不可确定的其他族裔。很不幸，今天我们又增添了两千三百四十一人的新病例，这样我们全县的病例就达到了十九万七千九百一十二，而其中有八千三百六十二是来自于。派朗长滩市的两千零二十三例是来自于帕萨迪纳市的。我们也顺便告诉大家，其中有一千一百七十八例是来自于无家可归的人，其中已有三百七十四例得到了隔离和防御地点。防御。现在我们有一千七百六十八人的确诊患者。住在医院，其中有百分之三十的确诊患者住在加护病房，而两千三百总共有两千三百零九人是确诊和疑似病例住在医院，其中有百分之十八人的病人必须使用呼吸机。呼吸机。我们的一千三百三十三个大型居住和非居住机构进行调查，这些机构的均有至少一例新冠病例。其中八百七十七个仍在调查中，四百五十六个已经结束调查。这些机构包括疗养医院、辅助居住所、避难所、治疗中心
援助居住中心、管教所等等。机构总确诊的居民是的员员工总人数为两万七千九百八十八，其中居民为一起一万四千九百四十七，员工为一万三千零四十一人。我们很遗憾，有两千两百七十人逝逝者来自于机构住所。这占死亡人数的百分之五十，而大部分逝者生前都居住在非常熟练的护理中心。而今天去世的六十七个人中，有十五人生前居住在熟练护理中心，这占总共死亡人数的百分之二十二。每个星期来这里报告死亡人数，对我来说都是一件非常痛苦的事。我为这些失去亲人的家人，包括父母、爷爷奶奶、叔叔、婶婶、堂兄堂弟，为你们送去我对他们的哀悼。监狱的统计数据显示，有三千四百三十人确诊，其中三千零六十五人为囚犯，三千七百人为管教人员。县警局报道的数据显示，三十五个囚犯。呈阳性，五十八人在隔离中，其中有一千一百七十六六人已度过防疫期。周监狱有一千九百六十人阳性，其中一一百九十六人呈阳性，其中一百三十七人是囚犯，五十九人为管教人员。联邦监狱有七百五十七人是阳性，其中七百四十一人属囚犯。十六人是管教人员，少年管教所有一百一十九人，其中四十七人为囚犯，七十二人为管教人员。洛杉矶县有总共有一百八十三万九千一百五十七人已经得到了测试，其中阳性显示是百分之十。那我来再来谈谈年龄相关的数据。下面是一些按年龄划分的限限，现在要是年龄错过的限呃数据，那我现在要略过这个这一部分哈。我们来谈一谈大学，我们来看一看大学相关的资料。我知道现在有很多的学生和员工都急于返校，现在就目前的情况来看，这是不可能的。大学中的宿舍、教室都属于高风险传染地区。我们已经出现了一例当地大学生爆发的例子。这个大学就是南加大，在南加大，我们对爆发点的三个兄弟会进行了调查，其中有四十五例确诊病例。同时，我另外对南加大的研究院也做了相应的调查，这些调查涉及到与研究生一起生活、学习和居住在一起的小型爆发。在 UCLA， 我们对返校的学生的感染球员。做了调查，其中有数位球员的测试呈阳性。面对这一触及到我们社会的每一个角落的这个病毒，随着学生的返校，侵犯到他们的每一个校园，我们必须要对重新开、重新开启的校园从严格把关。基于这一点，我们必须好好的运筹计划，保障学生、员工及他们家庭的安全。我们再谈谈各个。不同的政策模式，目前我们通，我们还不确定
洛县内的大学到何时才可以开启？我们在等待州政府的指令，看看是否可以像 K 十二学校一样，看看是在普通的县里，因传播率的高低不同，是否可以制定相对的政策？为了应对学校反。校所面对的问题，我们制定了一系列的政策模式，以便所有学校在重新开学前都应落实到位。目前，这些政策模式所作为的草一本已放到我们的网站上，几乎包括了校园生活的每一个部分，从校园居住、课堂学习和校园就餐。与其他工作场合一样，校园的共共同其中一个共同点就是，每个校园都应当要落实防御措施。包括对大众区域的消毒、佩戴、一直佩戴口罩，以及重新安置校内的设施的排放。与其他工作场所一样，校园也应当对员工和学生排查，而且当群发病例出现时，必须上报公公共卫生局，以便阻止连锁反应。因为离高校一般都位于大型居民区，所以应当采取重大的措施对来自校区的爆发。包括互相沟通、设计交通以及采取降低风险的措施。我们与各校的都有良好的，我们与各个高校都有良好的合作关系。所以，当秋季来临时，我们相信一定能够更好的合作应对这个疫疫情。学校特例，我想对昨天宣布的一项措施做一个简单的描述。我们会一如既往的遵守加州公共卫生局的指令，如先。如现居民中每十万个居民有两百个或更多的确诊，则不建议重新开启学校。洛杉矶县现在的比例是每十万居民有三百三十个确诊，这一数据将不会有重新开学的机会。我们知道很多家庭会对这一决定不满，但这是基于科学和受现有的数据做出的决定。我们要确保我们的孩子、学校、老师。员工的安全和健康，一旦这一比例下降，我们将会重新考虑学校学校是否开开放。我再来谈一谈青少年运动。最后，我想告诉大家的是，青少年的运动，州政府这星期颁布了重新开放青少年运动及相应的安全操作指南，包括以下几点：一、青少年运动只限于户外；二、随时保持社交距离，但。只限于同一个走类运动走类。三，户外运动时如果需要体力伸展，则则不需要佩戴口罩。另外，只有训练和技能培训时才可以近距离接触。另外，不允许锦标赛、大型集会及竞技表演。最后，目前不允许成人及业余活动。结束语。我都知道，我们都知道 ，COVID-19 影响我们所有的人，不管我们有多年轻。青少年活动可能会造成一波，造成很大的波及现象。参加通过派通过参加派对的孩子，可能会把病毒带回家，传播给自己的父母、自己的兄弟。另外，现在的感染人数太多，学校还不能开放。有人也不能重返工作，所以，我现在要重复的是，对年轻的人，当你们要出去进行一些活动时，你们一定要慎重的考虑，是不是
有必要出去，是不是有必要去看望你们的朋友？能够待在家里，尽量待在家里。谢谢。That concludes the briefing today. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.